all of a sudden, like everything that I've been building and putting my blood, sweat and tears, you know, fell apart and crumbled because it was accelerated at that speed. So anyway, I've gone on a few tangents here, but I just feel very strongly about that, that specific point. And I wish there was a way to solve for it. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. And if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 429. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon slash private label slash e-commerce sellers who mostly sell on Amazon. However you classify yourself, if that's roughly what you do and who you are, welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Yoni Kuzminski from Southcall. In fact, from several companies, we'll get into that in a second, but Southcall, where Yoni is a founding partner, is a growth fund. We'll talk about what that means, focused on accelerating e-commerce businesses to exit. Now, the difference between them, they're kind of very different from an aggregator because they invest in the entrepreneur to help them grow the business rather than just taking the business off them. So Yoni, is that roughly right who you are? Welcome to the show, man. Mate, it is an absolute pleasure to be back here. Thank you for the for the warm intro. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's fairly accurate. We would identify in this day and age as a growth fund, whereby we are looking to invest in e-commerce businesses to accelerate them to exit. So I think you hit the nail pretty well on the head there, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, at the risk of starting to swear on a podcast and no, nobody nobody can cope with that in the States, but we, you know, we're not here to to deal with spiders, as they famously say in, in Australia, only not quite as politely. So first of all, just explain a little bit about you, because we've had you on the podcast before, but with a different hat on, it wasn't South Colour at that point. So just give us a little bit about who you are and the businesses you're involved in, because I guess that all feeds into the picture, doesn't it? For sure, for sure. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good clarifier here. So I'll skip through sort of the, the majority of my background was in e-commerce, creative advertising, and digital marketing. You know, I used to work with really big brands like Sony and MasterCard and Mercedes-Benz doing their digital strategy and got really heavily into the Amazon and e-commerce community, growing a brand from two to five million in 12 months that Thrasio and Aggregator actually acquired. And on the back of that, we started building a couple of service businesses to really help e-commerce sellers accelerate their growth. So one is Multiply Me, which is our executive search and HR function where we find high-level talent in the Philippines and place them in e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses. And then the other is Escala, which is a process improvement management consultancy. So much like uh, McKinsey, Bain, Accenture, Deloitte, you know, name one of the, the big consultancies where we go into businesses and we systemize them to scale 
or to exit. And we work with, you know, a very large number of aggregators actually helping build most of the ones that are still in play, thankfully. And so that, and so that honestly, that's like my background and that's what I've been up to. And so South Coal really is the embodiment of bringing a few of these pieces together and also bringing in a couple of other key partners. So I'll share that, you know, part of South Coal, it's a joint venture. So we brought into this sellers funding who are a capital lender in the e-commerce space, one of the largest ones. And through them and this joint venture and South Coal as a business, we were able to stand up a $50 million facility to actually invest money into these businesses and Global Wired Advisors, who are a leading digital native e-commerce investment bank where their focus is on selling e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses, largely to private equity and strategic. So it's my background, the business's background and how it all converges is, is you know, that's really the story there. Yeah, great. So, I mean, obviously, what the, one of the differences that you've got a, a, from some of the people out there is, on the one hand, you're not just the kind of classic Amazon entrepreneur who's, who's browser out into services, such as myself, or on the other hand, you're not sort of suddenly swung into e-commerce with a five-minute sort of briefing from somebody you know all about mergers and acquisitions, like a lot of the aggregators seem to, and, and nothing about that. Oh, operate an Amazon business, it turns out. It's so based on the fact that, as you say, a lot of them are blown up. Okay, so that's interesting. And of course, yeah, we know Global Wide Advisors well. We've had Jason and Chris on multiple times. They're, they're one of my most trusted sources of information, I think, for you know how to grow a sellable business, but also the market for businesses, You know how who's out there, who's buying, you know, what are the price points, what are the multiples, that stuff. So that's all very reassuring. Now, tell me about Southcall specifically then. So what's different from that, from say an aggregator or, you know, other people out there who are helping in some form to invest in or buy businesses? Yeah, it's a great question. And how I would first look to define it is, you know, an aggregator, the the business model that defines an aggregator is look to identify high value growing in the most part growing brands, e-commerce, digital native brands. And then remove the founder from that business. You know, their claim to fame is often, you know, we'll, we'll see you with cash in the bank 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you know, very, very quickly. And we will then look to aggregate and create these economies of scale as we scale this business. You know, all of a sudden we don't need as many PPC specialists or designers or, you know, listing specialists and, you know, inventory supply chain. The idea is that you can actually aggregate those into a single really well-ordered model and that can continue to grow and that makes a lot of sense, you know, in in theory. I think what we found is that it's a little bit harder than, you know, a lot of these people who looked at the unit economics and the numbers around it to actually manage and that's because all of these Amazon and e-commerce entrepreneurs are so committed and dedicated and brilliant at what they do and they are in many ways the secret source and why the business has gotten to, you know, 500,000, a million, 2 million, $5 million in revenue and, and, and growing at these pace, it's their level of commitment. And when you take that piece out, you know, things change. And so leading into what is South Coal, South Coal is effectively the business whereby instead of taking that founder out of play and saying, right, we'll take it from here. We're going to turn this into a, you know, a big boy or big girl brand. What we're actually saying is, you are the most valuable asset in this business. And while maybe you don't have all of the world's, all of the experience in the world in growing businesses to the level that they can actually 
materialize or you don't have all the resources, what we're actually going to do is we're going to invest millions of dollars, depending on what the company needs, into your business. We're going to build you a two-year roadmap where you are going to maximize your exit potential and what that multiple looks like. And through this journey, what we'll effectively do is we'll build out the processes where we look to remove you from, honestly, all the things that you likely hate. (laughs) And those are things like PPC management and inventory and supply chain and logistics headaches and things like that. And we'll have you focused in on doing the things that make you truly great. So things like new product development, working with manufacturers to do testing, building out the next 10 products that you'd like to bring to market or expanding your brand and your operation into new regions, things that will actually have impact on the multiple and things that you will really typically enjoy as an e-commerce founder. And ultimately, what we're looking to do is say, let's have you focus on the things where you create the most leverage. Let's give you as much money as you need to invest in third-party providers like PPC agencies that you know live and breathe this stuff or design agencies or a full service agency that can help you or a 3PL or IP and patent lawyers or things that are really going to help drive the brand while it's growing and grow the brand likely better than you can while you can focus on the things that are really going to turn the screws from a multiple perspective. So I know I've gone on a little bit here, but I think it's a really important question and distinction to make because that's the question that you often get. Like, well, you're just an aggregator, right? And and I think that it's unclear at the start, but once you understand how this is involved in actually growing the individual and also the brand, it's very different. I think one of the really important things to finish off on here is that we're committed to the outcome. So this isn't transactional. This is how we make money to be totally transparent is we take minority stake equity ownership of the business. So you don't pay for any of the services that are being rendered. You don't pay for the investment bank's involvement or for the years of management consulting and the roadmap that we build with you and any of these things that go into it, what we're saying is we will see upside when you see upside and we're directly aligned with what that looks like, including like having a hurdle. So if we don't achieve what we commit to achieving, then we, I mean, we ultimately bear the biggest loss here because we will have obviously likely grown the business, but we have to grow it in a material way. Yeah, interesting. So I, I just want to say one thing to anyone who's listening. He's talking about his own business and, and the structure they have. I think it's really important to remember that, you know, this is an education based podcast. Yeah, sure. All guests are going to be invited to tell you who they are and what you do if you want to go further with them. And why would we not? But I think it's really important that, that anyone listening thinks about this from an abstract point of view. The business models that are out there. The business model you're operating has a profound effect on everything about your business, right? But the business model that the person who might be buying or investing in your business, or for that matter, lending you money, any of those things, has a profound effect on that relationship and thus on everything about your business and how much you sell for, how stressful your life is, how big the business gets, whether you sell the business to somebody who then tanks it, which is sadly being quite a common story. So I just wanted to say that so that everyone listening keeps an open mind and takes even if they never work with South Cold, takes the learnings as it were. So I'm all about that. So I just wanted to say that. I think the interesting thing is that this situation is where you and the entrepreneur are much more aligned because you're both going to benefit in in proportionate terms equally from the exit. Whereas when you add, you're dealing with somebody across the table who's buying the whole business from you, obviously it's in their interest to have the lowest exit price possible, right? And your interest to have the highest. So I guess that's one of the things we should think about. I mean, 
let, let's back off a little bit from the immediate South Coast thing and just look at the wider market for businesses, first of all, and then we'll talk about growth and, you know, whether that's even a good plan. But let's talk about sure. the wider market. It's quite famous that the aggregators have sort of, you know, went up and then went shooting downwards. What's your view on the market right now for actually selling an e-commerce business in a more conventional way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me let me just take a step back and say, you know, nothing I'm sharing today is about pitching anyone. You know, I think it's I think it's really important, like you were pointing out, Michael, to understand the difference in the models. And, you know, a lot of the logic behind it came on the fact that, you know, in we deal with hundreds of clients across Multiply Me and Escala. And many times investment banks, brokers, and a lot of aggregators that we work with would approach us and say, hey, like just, you know, particularly aggregators, like any businesses that fit this and this size, like send them our way. And I was, I never felt good about that because I'm effectively saying the client that I'm servicing, the person that I'm genuinely helping to scale their business, to staff their business, to help them create these these material wins in their life are now in a position where the introduction I make for them is trying to buy their brand, their asset at the lowest possible rate, and my client is trying to now sell it at the highest. And so, it was a real just conflict of interest. So, through this whole process, and I'm about to answer your question in a second about you know what happened with the aggregators, but I, I think that looking at the different business models and understanding that is just fundamental for you guys also to just think like, how can I apply this to my business as well? And are there opportunities that exist that make a whole lot of sense? So, coming back to the question that you asked, Michael, about like what's driven a lot of the aggregators, you know, explosion and growth, and then you know, obviously some of the challenges here. I think there's a there's many factors that that happen, and I think like the story around Thrasio is a very interesting one. So, for those of you who don't who don't know Thrasio, and if you're in the Amazon space and you've been living under a rock, I'll share with you, Thrasio is the fastest profitable unicorn in the history of the world. There has never been a company that has grown faster and to a, a level of profitability in history. They went on to acquire, you know, the model was acquiring these FBA businesses, getting them and operating them. And they went on to acquire about 250 or so businesses in the span of under four years, they were bringing on 100, in some weeks, 100 people a week. And they went from being the fastest profitable unicorn in history to burning cash and going through, you know, a very public restructure at the end of last year and, you know, have continued to, to evolve in theater. And I think like the couple of lessons here, one is it's extremely hard to scale any business at speed, and this is coming from someone who has a process improvement consultancy, where we still get things wrong, and no one is impervious. And so, trying to go, you know, you know, at a hundred miles an hour from day one is is never a good idea, in my opinion. And what's more is, you know, because a lot of people saw what this model was and the appeal, you know, call them spreadsheet jockeys, if you will, the appeal of what this could look like in a material IPO or liquidity event, it drove up all of this immense demand. So, sellers who were selling their businesses were the largest, the biggest winners over the last, you know, let's call it two years. The multiples went from 1.5 probably when Thrash started acquiring to seven, eight, nine times EBITDA. And so, there was a lot of capital floating, things were happening. There was also a lot of market distinction or market confidence suggesting that like 
You know, I remember hearing in 2020, at the start of 2020, e-commerce has gone five years into the future or 10 years into the future in like a matter of months. It's crazy, the growth. And I think a lot of it was just the fact that we were all inside and we couldn't spend money on all the other things that we'd like to spend money on. So, people were investing in things online. And so, yeah. you know, that was that was a big part of it. Like it was a somewhat of a perfect storm yeah. that sort of came together to, to result in this outcome. And one of the things that's always struck me about that, if, if something grows by five years worth of what you projected, i.e. you're expecting e-commerce, if you think of that as an industry in itself, as opposed to a subset of retail to grow at say 15% a year or 12%, the sort of averages, and it grows, you know, whatever, 50, 60% in one year. There's this thing called the reversion to the mean that over the decades, I'm, I'm no genius at statistics, but it seems as a rule of thumb, very reliable, like the 80-20 principle. I tend to look for that pattern because I find it turns up. So in other words, if it grows 50% in one year and the average trend is 12% a year, well, if that average is going to continue over the next, over 10 years, that implies it's going to drop like a stone for the next two years and then not grow very much for the next two. So that doesn't mean that the long-term trend has changed, right? But it just seems weird to me how people kind of who know a lot about markets and spreadsheets and have finance degrees ignore such a primitive but famous statistics thing. I mean, what's your take on that? Why? It, it, first of all, do you think there's a that's a what happening, the reversion to the mean thing in terms of e-commerce growth trends year on year revenue? And secondly, you know, why do people ignore that? If, if you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 429 so so i would i would say a few things you know in a lot of these situations speed to market and doing this first gets you you know not everywhere but gets you pretty far and so the fact that thras had such a jump on so many of these other businesses you know put them in really good stead and you saw they're the fastest profitable unicorn in history now i think that the just the sheer duration of the pandemic had a pretty significant impact here. So it wasn't like this three or six month journey here. We're talking about years worth of this build up and of this sort of consumer spending pattern. And then we've had from the consumer spending pattern, it's a perfect storm. We're also finding ourselves in heading toward a recession. And so I think like all of these factors combined have have really created those challenges. I mean, you literally saw like these massive M and A teams all let go of in, you know, I would say most of the aggregators, and that just shows that, you know, venture capital is, you know, this is a whole topic that we could go into, but I, I, venture capital frustrates me in terms of the the model. Like, there's so many great entrepreneurs that are likely absolutely burned because. They went. They tried to go really big. Like like venture capital's goal is to force an outcome, good or bad. You know, they hit one in ten, one in twenty. You know, it's not it's not a huge hit rate, but that hit will typically pay for all of the other failed you know investments in their portfolio. And so, coming back to it, like you've got a hundred odd aggregators, and it was always known that only a small percentage of them would make it through. And now, you know, I just I think about like what would that do to my confidence as a as a founder, as an entrepreneur, if an outcome was forced upon me, I didn't hit it. And all of a sudden, like everything that I've been building and putting my blood, sweat and tears, you know, f- fell apart and crumbled because it was accelerated at that speed. So anyway, I've gone on a few tangents here, but I just feel very strongly about that, that specific point, And I wish there was a way to solve for it. Yeah. You make an interesting point. So again, it comes down to a couple of things. I think, I mean, again, it, it comes down to 
understanding the dynamics in a situation. They're often quite straightforward, but people don't understand them because it's not their world. So if you're a venture capitalist and your, your world is you invest, you know, like Shark Tank, for example, most famous example of sort of playing at venture capital. I mean, those people are serious entrepreneurs, they get me wrong, but they do it for TV. And I've worked on a bit of reality TV in the past. So it's about as real as a soap opera, but nevertheless, the basics are there and their outcomes are shocking. Like I think one in 30 of those have actually returned their money or made a, a profit. So, okay, that's probably particularly terrible because they're doing it for TV reasons. They're already wealthy. Let's say one in 10. I think that's probably good. In that case, that implies they have to, you know, go for broke or kill your company. And I guess for them, it just doesn't matter if it kills the company. And, and if you go in understanding that as the entrepreneur, I think that really changes your decision about whether to do it, how you work with it. And, and, you know, whether you expect to have a job as a CEO is distinct from majority shareholder, right? Cause I've seen. So many CEOs being ousted from their companies, I had conversations with them. I know them privately. Somebody, I, I don't have the right to talk about it publicly, but I happen to know the CEO or the former CEO of a very big marketplace in as a marketplace as a distinct from a brand that was acquired. And sure enough, within about eight months, she'd lost her job because they probably expected her to forex the company to justify the, to my mind, outrageous multiple. Of revenue, never mind profit that they paid. It was ludicrous. I mean, I cannot think what the multiple was now. It was like 20 times revenue. I'm like, really? What, what are you doing? So how do we in that? You, you brought this up, but we're going down this. It's not really a rabbit hole. I think we're going down an interesting tangent. Tell me how should an entrepreneur even think about that? How do they begin to make decisions in that kind of shark like environment? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And, and honestly, like when I think through the vision of what we're looking to create long term, I hope to, I don't know, necessarily be a solution to, but be another option to that opportunity. And, and I'd say, you know, South Coal for me is the most important stepping stone in my career to date and what it means for the founders that we'll work with and support. And and what that journey will look like but i think when when i when i sort of take a step back and and i look at that environment for anyone who's like considering taking on venture capital and, and going through that process which it's crossed my mind plenty of times through this through this journey you know if i had more cap i'm i'm a bootstrap founder if i had more capital i could accelerate the growth of you know our product team and the technology we're building and i could i could do so much with that money but with it comes you know a real a real cost and that cost is the fact and forget the equity that you give up i think that you know you'll be able to find whatever that split looks like and you'll make that work and that's fine the problem that, that i face is that you you effectively lose that opportunity to to dictate the outcome as to where your business is headed and for me that is that's scary only from the standpoint that like I'm, you know, you as a founder, me as a founder, we're not going to get it right all the time and probably not most of the time, but sometimes you you hit on these things that were never in the very structured plan of like, this is how, you know, if I had raised capital, for example, for Multiply Me, which is a staffing business, I never would have been able to have the opportunity to build a Scala, which is a consulting practice. And that happened by accident. And, and the reality is like that business is the most valuable asset that I have today and was what led us to South Coast. So coming back to it and just around this whole venture capital opportunity, like you just have to remember that these guys are trying to 20X whatever it is you're doing. And while that's really exciting as a founder, there's no shame in building like a really high value cash flow positive business. And you know, while we, you know, while 
I'm passionate about what Southcall is, I'd also say to any founder, like selling your business isn't necessarily the road that you should be taking. That, you know, this is not like the be all and end all. And like, you know, I think people wear it as like a massive badge of honor. Like I exited a company and, you know, if you had a massive liquidity event and now you're, you know, in a really healthy financial position, amazing. But you can build a really viable business and not have to go down this venture capital route or sell it and and go through it. So coming back to like how I see ways that you could build a different line of opportunity. And I'm starting to see a lot of agencies take this path too. When I look at it from my lens, like Escala can understand, fix and build any business and Multiply Me can staff it with high value, low cost talent. And so like the the dream state for me would be to actually give entrepreneurs building great businesses the resources that I never had when I was starting out and say, we're going to in we're going to invest into your company. We're going to give you all the resources you need to get there and and build like a partnership where it's not about exiting the business, but you know, whether it's rev share, whether it's about owning equity, like finding something that actually has longevity and sustainability and and makes sense for everyone because we're helping each other create the best possible outcome. So another long-winded answer for you. No, but this stuff has got to be thought through. I I, I have a few things that make me despair a bit about the e-commerce industry. And despair is too strong a word, but but sort of wind me up because I feel a lot of stuff induces poor quality business thinking. And what's interesting is there's plodding business thinking that actually maybe not be sexy, but has a lot of value. And a lot of people just bypass that because they think they bypassed it by being clever. Then there's that terribly, you know, superficial, we think we're being clever by the latest hack, which I think is doomed. And then there's actually genuinely smart acceleration strategies, but which require real understanding. And I think this is the thing that we've got to get, right? So I would say what's interesting about your what you propose, and you're not the only people to do some similar deal structure. There are a couple of private equity companies that have been on the podcast before, invest in the business, but not take it off people, you know, a, a minority equity position, and then help the founders grow it. What's interesting there is the dynamic is your interests are clearly more aligned than if somebody just, you know, wants to accelerate your business along with 10 others. So Let's move on slightly from the whole question of selling or not selling the business, because in a sense, that's kind of a, well, okay, let me ask you a question. I'm about to make an assumption, which is the mother of all FAPs, as we know. Is there a difference between accelerating your business growth for you to own it in the future versus accelerating it to sell it, or is growth just growth? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. I think the first standpoint, like the South Coal model specifically, it has to has to have come with an exit two years on. Like that's that model is tied to an exit. If you're asking the question about sort of you know what does that look like from a accelerating a, a business for growth versus for exit, I would say that it really comes down to what does that relationship look like for you, and what's more important is what is the business model that you have and and what is like what is the big payday and i'm i'm just going to give you like some tangible examples if you're in a business like i am right now in a service business and i'm going to use multiply me then you know typically with service businesses you can build healthy margins once you get to you know what i like to call like critical mass and you build a level of operation and sophistication where like that thing should just run and run independent of you and it should be really healthy cash flow again once you get there we're not quite there yet but hoping to in the not too distant future like 
there might not be any real material reason to sell a business like that if, you know, let's just give the hypothetical, or let's say my dream state, let's say that business could yield me $300,000 a year that I could take home where I didn't have to work in it all that much. Like, sure, it would sell for a decent multiple, but what's the point? If it runs and it's and it's fairly low touch for me, unbelievable. There's no real critical reason to have that big exit. I'd say the reason why I think exits are talked about a fair amount or, or, or more so than, than necessarily other industries in the e-commerce space is that to grow an e-commerce business, it's extremely cash flow, cash intensive. So, as you grow and as anyone on this, anyone listening in here will understand, like as you grow and you're looking to understand your cash conversion cycles and your order value, you know, the cost of orders and the lead time and your ability to sell, like as that business grows, so too does your requirement on cash. And so, ultimately, like you're growing a business, it's a great business, but there's a level of stress attached to that and you're constantly having to, you know, borrow money in order to fuel the beast that you've created unless you build like really high profit margins into it, which is not typically the case. So, that's why I would say when you look at an e-commerce business, like exiting an e-commerce business makes a lot of sense in a lot of realities because especially when we talk about FBA businesses, like there's that that FBA marketplace risk that's attached on top of everything else that's going on here. And this is me as someone who's investing in these types of businesses. You know, I know all of the concerns and and what that looks like and i would say like these are the things that you should be considering as to like when you're building your business and the decisions you make around your model and whether it's e-commerce or consulting to e-commerce businesses or service businesses like really just understanding like what is the what does the lifestyle look like and what is that upside opportunity yeah i think this is seriously important so a couple of examples spring to mind in terms of the service slash lifestyle business james Trumpko, who i've mentioned to you another a fellow australian if, if you count yourself as australian these days but who has built a rather nice business and he coaches other businesses it's service-based it's relatively light touch he spends a lot of time surfing it's kind of like the pitch for amazon private label from like 2014 when i got into it but actually it, it makes more sense Whereas the other example that springs to mind is Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight's book, which of all business books written by somebody from a big corporation is incredibly listenable. I mean, I think he, you know, he lost his son. I think there was something special about that book, but I would recommend anyone listen to it. But the main thing that strikes you is the, the financial journey for like 12, 13, 14 years, he just fought his bank to borrow more and more and more and more money. And on paper, Nike, it was doubling sales every year. And on paper, everyone wants that. And in practice, it was just massive stress and they didn't take much personal money from it until he went public, which is effectively selling it in pieces to millions of people, right? So that that reality is independent of e-commerce, I think, and it's independent of digital versus non-digital. I think it's retail, isn't it? You buy stuff, your money is tied up in stuff. When you sell the stuff, you go, great, thank God I got some cash. Only you're selling more stuff, so you're going to buy even more widgets. And thus it continues, right? The only way to get off the treadmill is to sell the thing. So I, I think you're right. I mean, I know one or two people who I don't think they're going to sell in their life. Um, they for good reasons, I mean, uh, they often have like a multi-generational business that they want to pass on their kids and they have a big appetite for risk. Exactly like you said, everyone else I know and they say they're not going to sell. I look at them, I'm like, I don't think I believe you because I've heard people say that before. And then the next month they've come back and said, oh, Mike, I've sold that business. <laughs> I don't know if you've had you, those you conversations. Know, you, you, I mean, you, you know what they say, mate, money talks and bullshit walks. Uh, I mean, the reality, yeah. you know? When the yeah. multiples are like five or six X for a pretty ordinary business. Yeah. I mean, like I had a couple of 
like sell businesses one one in january 2022 was it it feels like decades ago because the world has changed right the, the uk yep. and the marketplace so tell me let's talk a bit more about the accelerating growth thing the other question even more profound is should you even accelerate growth because you know, I guess it implies if you're going to exit, you need to do that, but there are obviously downsides. So what are the, what are the cautionary things where you should think twice about growth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would, I would first look at, and, and you sort of alluded to it before, but like the current state of the market. So, you know, this time last year, you were seeing these absurd multiples. Sellers were laughing all the way to the bank, you know, five, six, sevens, eights, nines for businesses that are, you know, a million dollars EBITDA, so let's call it a three, four, five million dollar revenue business, and even smaller than that, getting these really, really beautiful payouts. And the businesses might have been around for two, three, four years. You know, it's not it's not an extensive amount of time. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. If we look forward today, and you know, I've spoken to a number of the marketplaces and brokers and investment banks. You know, you're looking you're looking at multiples now for businesses that are even larger than those at maybe a two, you know, so a million dollar, you know, a half a million dollar business, EBITDA business last year might have sold for a four or five multiple. You'd be lucky to sell a million dollar EBITDA business for a two times multiple today. And so I would say that's the current state of what's going on. And when we look at like accelerating growth, you've put all of this blood, sweat and tears into building this business. And like we were talking, like you gave the example of Shoe Dog and Nike, you know, you you typically, unless you're building the right profit margins into this business, and it's not about you know, beg borrowing and stealing money to be able to keep the lights on, you know, typically with an e-commerce business, the the goal will be to exit it. And so, if if I was asked today, like, should you sell your business? I'd say, unless you're hitting you know, 2 million EBITDA, unless it really is niche specific, you have defensibility around patents and IP, and there is like a real private equity or strategic buyer that you understand and you work backwards understanding that this is exactly the asset that they would be looking for, then then I would say it's probably not the best time. And so, then you have to look introspectively and say, well, what can I do now with this asset? You know, I'm two, three, four, five years in, I've put in all of this hard work and and how do I approach that? So, I would say, I think when you accelerate anything, it should be very intentional and it should be fraught with caution. So, don't just try and expand it, you know, and, and examples might be like, you know, don't just try and enter the UK and Europe at the same time entering D2C and wholesale and retail and then try and bring, you know, 50 new products to market when you only had five in market and doing all of this at once when you're especially like a solo founder or you have a very small team. Like, I think one of the things that that I've learned in my career and also as we go through this process in the businesses that we've invested in, it's very, very intentional. You know, you're working backwards from your defined outcome and your objective and what, how the business needs to perform and what it needs to look like two years on. So I, I think like m- my piece of advice here is to really understand like what do you what does the business need to look like for it to make sense for a potential acquisition in whatever two years time from now or as the market shifts, hopefully hopefully sooner. But you know we'd predict at least another year in this in this current climate, and you know it's so unpredictable right now. So we could chat 
in a month's time right now and you know the base you know the basis points might have shifted and we're we're looking at a very different reality and it could be scary or it could be better so so i just say like just being very intentional at this moment in time and and starting to really get clear on where you'd like to be through this through this journey if you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 429 thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers i really hope you found the show helpful to you please don't forget to subscribe to the show and if you're on apple podcasts please do leave us a quick star rating it will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.